Would you like predictable monthly income with annual returns up to 15% or more? Norada Capital Management offers you the opportunity to invest in promissory notes with fixed rates of return and monthly direct deposits. We provide investors with an effortless way to diversify beyond other investment options like stocks and bonds and even real estate. Our promissory notes have a high rate of return and are 100% passive. Interest is paid monthly, directly into your account, delivering truly effortless income. Many other passive investments offer rates of return in the 4-6% to range. Our promissory notes have delivered fixed rates of return in the double digits since conception. All notes are in good standing and Norada has a no-default history and reputation. And retirement accounts such as self-directed IRAs and Roth IRAs also qualify for this investment. So if you're looking for an effortless investment with predictable monthly income and double-digit returns, then visit our website at noradacapital.com. Learn more at noradacapital.com today. Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing, the show where busy people like you learn how to build substantial passive income while creating wealth for the long term. And now, here's your host, Marco Santarelli. Welcome back to another episode of Passive Real Estate Investing, and I'm your host, Marco Santarelli. Before we go any further, if you haven't subscribed to the show, remember to click that subscribe button and subscribe to the show so you never miss a great episode. So ask the question, how do you think and win like a champion? Well, let's first of all ask, what is a champion? According to the dictionary, there's really two main definitions. One is it's a person who wins first prize or first place in a competition. But the second definition of what a champion is is a person who is clearly superior or has the attributes of a winner. And I really like that second definition because we all want those attributes of being a winner. We all want to be a winner. You see, how a champion thinks is the decisive factor in what makes them a champion. Their thoughts, their attitudes, and their beliefs are so precise that they allow themselves to win. They basically ensure and virtually guarantee the path to becoming a winner and becoming a champion. And it's what you will allow yourself to become as a champion in your own right, in your chosen area of endeavor. And if you take the time to learn and apply the principles we're going to talk about on today's show, you can and will become a champion. So my guest today was on recently with Mark Victor Hansen, and although he didn't do a lot of the talking, he had a lot of great things to say and was very impactful. And I've come to know him much better here over the past few weeks. And so he's really an interesting and dynamic person. It's my pleasure to welcome back on the show, Nikki Ballou. And he was on the show with me when I was with Mark Victor Hansen a couple of weeks ago. So I'm glad to have him back on. And what you guys don't know is that Nikki has spent the last 20 years figuring out the mindsets of champions, which speaks volumes because we want to get into the minds of people who are champions and become champions ourselves. So he's worked with athletes and entrepreneurs at the highest levels from Olympic gold medalists to billionaires. So Nikki, I know, can ignite your passion and he can push you guys further than you ever thought was possible. So Nikki, welcome to the show. Marco, it's an honor to be back, my friend. Really, really enjoyed being here last time, and I know this time's going to be just as great. It will be, because I'm very excited about your book that you sent me. Brilliant subtitle, by the way. The book is called Finish Line Thinking, and the subtitle is How to Think and Win Like a Champion, and that is just extremely fitting, because I know that our audience loves to 
become a better version of themselves to grow and expand and be more to themselves and their family and, and to the world. So before we get into some of the topics that you talk about and what you've studied with athletes and billionaires and even Mark Victor Hansen, I want you to talk about that. Tell us more about yourself. Let us know who you are. Absolutely. Well, I am an immigrant to Canada. My, I'm originally from uh, Iran in the Middle East. My family and I are, are ethnic Christians, Assyrians, Ashuri. And we left Iran just a couple of years after the Iranian revolution happened. You know, it was an Islamic revolution and being a non-Muslim in Iran, it was becoming increasingly difficult. I mean, they weren't going after you and throwing you in prison or anything like that. So it wasn't like it was in ISIS territory, but it was just not, not really working as well as it did prior to the Islamic revolution. So my family left and we were blessed by the grace of God to come here to Canada and I'll tell you, I am so grateful, ever so grateful to my parents, A, for bringing us here, but B, to the people who created the concept that is Canada and is liberal democracy, because we get to talk about whatever we want here. We get to criticize the government and nobody comes and hauls us away in the middle of the <laughs> night and throws us in jail, which would happen in Iran. And it's a beautiful and wonderful thing. And coming here as I grew up, I started to really appreciate all the wonderful things about our society. One of the seminal things that happened to me was a friend of mine gave me a couple of books when I was 17 years old. And I read the first one, and those books were by the same author. The first one book was called The Fountainhead, written by Ayn Rand. And outside of the Bible, it's one of the best-selling books of the last 60, 70 years. It sells several hundred thousand copies a year. and was published in the early 1940s. An incredible book. It blew me away. But then when I was in university, at the age of 20, I started reading Atlas Shrugged. And I was in the middle of doing a paper, and I couldn't put the book down. I would read 50 or 100 pages in the book, then I'd write my paper. So for that week, I think I slept a total of two hours. I wrote the paper. I read the book. And it really set my philosophy in life. I started to see that God put us here on this earth, intending to self-actualize, intending to be the best version of ourselves. And that we were intended to have the freedom to do what God intended for us to do. And the government was actually created really to allow us a context, a structure to be able to coexist in harmony with our fellow man and fellow woman and not for them to really rule over us. And the beauty of, of this is that I became a libertarian. And I ran a powerful impact on me. But then that was the 80s. And there was another couple of individuals who had a powerful impact on me, Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan. These were two leaders who were conviction politicians who spoke strongly in favor of the individual and who spoke against the tyranny of the collective that was represented by the Soviet Union. And I was hooked. When Ronald Reagan delivered his speech in 1983 to the National Association of Evangelicals, in which he called the Soviet Union an evil empire, <laughs> then I just stood up and jumped and applauded because... He was speaking for me and tens, if not hundreds of millions of people around the world. And when because of the moral clarity of President Reagan and Prime Minister Thatcher and Pope John Paul II, the Soviet Union collapsed and Eastern Europe, the captive nations became free. I thought that this was God's work. God's hand was at play over here. And hundreds of millions of people that were formerly captive now were living and breathing free air and creating their own life. And for me, that's always been what I've been all about. I do what I do to help spread freedom, to help spread free enterprise. And I created my company right now 
to help the entrepreneur, to help the man or woman with a dream that wants to make their life better, wants to make the world a better place because of their dream. And I've created programs and I do my podcasts and I deliver talks all in service of that man, all in service of that woman and their dream. That's amazing. That's an incredible story. And those are all great books too, by the way. Atlas Shrugged is a bit of a doorstopper of a book. It's so big, but he has a great, great story. I know. And I read it in six days, brother. Think about that. Because I didn't sleep. <laughs> like That's how taken I was by the message. Wow, wow, wow. That was incredible. The movie doesn't do the book justice, though. Not at all. No, it's a three-part movie, and I have all, the, all three parts, and it's an incredible, incredible movie. But the problem is, unfortunately, the left got in the way of this being done properly, right? So they, the folks who wanted to create it never got proper Hollywood support. And if they got Hollywood support, if you had some big-name actors in it, let me tell you, that movie would be a blockbuster and it would do extremely well. Yeah, I would tend to agree with you. So let's dive into one of your books. It's not the first chapter, but it's the one that I think is the place I'd like to start because it segues nicely off of what you're talking about in your story. And that is the expectation to win. And I think that's a differentiator because a lot of people who succeed, even small successes, have an expectation to win. And, you know, in your studies with champions, you even said it yourself, champions literally expect to win. There is no second choice. There's no plan B. So let's talk about that. How is that a differentiator and how can we change our thinking to be expecting a win? Well, I'll tell you the story from the book because I think that's a, an illustrative one. Perfect. Okay. So Michael Johnson was the great 200 and 400 meter Olympic champion. He was a four-time Olympic gold medalist and an eight-time world champion, right? And so by any definition, a champion, a winner in life, right? And back in the day, he used to wear these specially made gold shoes by Nike. Do you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> they were like $3,000 back then, and that was like 25 years ago. Imagine what they would cost today, right? And these shoes, they were paper thin and super light. They were designed you know, basically for single use only. And they cost, as I said, a lot of money, three grand at the time. And Michael would throw them into the crowd after every race. So Nike loved that when he won, but when he lost, it wasn't so great. And one day, a reporter, one of these snarky, smart aleck reporters that we see so much of these days, went over to him and said, yo, Michael, how come you're wearing these gold shoes, man? What if you lose? Won't you be embarrassed? And like a true champion, Michael Johnson looked him in the eye with a look of utter disdain and disgust and said, I run to win, man. I don't think about losing. I think about winning. And I think he spat on the ground in front of his feet and walked away. And to me, that says it all, doesn't it, Marco? That's huge. Yeah. And the man who told me this story is one of my mentors, Olympic champion Mark McCoy of Canada. So when he told me this story, I said, hey, Mark, tell me more. He said, you know what? Whenever I expected to win, I almost always won. And whenever I just hoped to win, I almost never won. And I'm like, wow, this is fascinating. Tell me more, man. What's the difference between when you knew you were going to win and when you just hoped you would win? Because those are two very different states of being, right? Like up here and kind of down here, right? And his answer was absolutely startling. He said to me, it was all a function of my level of preparation and focus. Whenever I'd done the work to be fully prepared and fully focused, I knew I was going to win. And whenever I hadn't, I just hoped I'd win. And when I thought about that, I said, that makes so much sense. I looked back at myself. 
when I have been prepared, when I've done the work, when I haven't dogged it or cut corners or made excuses, like Marco, I feel like a champion, like a lion ready to eat its dinner, right? <laughs> and, and whenever I hadn't, I just kind of hoped maybe I'll, I'll win. But that wasn't a great strategy. The great General George S. Patton, America's greatest fighting general of World War II, possibly the greatest general they've had since Robert E. Lee. And he was on, he, he fought on the wrong side in the American Civil War. So <laughs> right. we're going to give it to Patton, right? <laughs> and, and he said, hope's not a strategy, man. You've got to be prepared. So think about for yourself, when have you been super prepared versus when have you cut corners? And what's the, the difference between the results when you've been super prepared versus when you've cut corners? Well, preparation goes a long way. I mean, even when, when I do these podcast interviews, I always do some research on who I'm interviewing and you know what they're all about and their philosophy. And I kind of structure my thinking and my questions around who they are and what they believe in and what they want to talk about. That preparation just ends up producing a better quality product in the end, right? But that you can do that and apply that to anything. I'm wondering what gets in people's way. Is it self-doubt? I mean, why don't people expect to win? What's the enemy? Your business gets to a certain size and the cracks start to emerge. Things you used to do in a day are taking a week. You have too many manual processes. You don't have one source of truth. If this is you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25, and 1. 37,000, that's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. And one, because your business is one of a kind, so you get a customized solution for all your KPIs, that's your key performance indicators, in one efficient system with one source of truth, manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow all in one place. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash real estate. That's netsuite.com slash real estate to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash real estate. Is it self-doubt or is it something else? At some level, it's laziness. It's not being willing to pay the price to do the work to be ready. And that's really the truth. I've been a victim of that myself far too many times. I don't want to say victim. I've been someone who's resembled that remark. Let's put it that way, because I don't believe in being a victim. And whenever I, I've been prepped, man, I crush it. So I'll tell you a little story. I had a client. So I run a program for thought leaders, right? And I had a client, and I'll, I'll tell you his story, then I'll tell you the story the main story of why I'm telling you the story. He was 62 when he started working with me. He'd never been his own boss and he wanted to start coaching. 62. He'd always worked for someone else. In his last 20 years, he'd worked for his brother. He retired and he said, you know what? I want to do my own thing. I want to coach. And he, he was involved in men's work. So he wanted to coach men who were having trouble in their relationship. So keep in mind, this man had never made his own money. Not one penny. Not one penny. We took this guy to 2000 a month from zero and then to 4,000 and then to 8,000. And then he maxed out at 20 to 22,000. I forget, which, but that for a guy in his mid sixties, by the time he got there, like it was retired and is doing this for giggles. <laughs> I'll keep out the first part of that phrase, <laughs> family oriented show and all, but fantastic result, right? So time goes on. 
And this guy goes to me, you know, after two years of being my client, I don't want to be your client anymore. I've got what I needed. Thanks. And calls me up and he says, I think you need to become my client. And I was taken aback. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm like, in my own head, I'm going, you are my client. I'm not going to go become your client. Why? That's not, you, you know, you look up to me. I don't look up to you. I mean, it was one of those things. My ego was in full engagement mode, right? It was in charge there. But he, this guy, God bless him, he never gave up. And he finally said, I want to talk to you. It was like a year and a bit into his kind of declaration that I should be his client. And I said, okay, God, man, I got to give him the time. You know, he's been a client. He's a friend, blah, blah, blah. And he came to me and he said, I know exactly why your business has plateaued at where it's at. And I know you're doing well, but I know you want to do better. I'm like, yeah, 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 you're right. I want to do better. And he said, it's your ego. Your ego's too big. And you don't know that your ego is too big and it's getting in your way. And I'm the right guy to show you how to get it out of your way. I'm like, man, that was not an easy thing to hear, especially from a client, a former client. But he was right. So guess what? I sent him an email transfer. We started working together on his client now. <laughs> I mean, just, and by the way, Marco, like if you know anybody who's like, they're married, right? And they're having trouble with their wife or, you know, they're a good guy and, you know, they got a bit of an ego and they don't see it. You and I should talk privately and they should meet this guy because he is no joke. He is the real deal. He is legit, right? So we have our first coaching call. In that first coaching call, three things come up, okay? So number one is my ego has been in charge everywhere. Number two is I haven't been aware that my ego has been in charge. And so we started to look at the business. We started to look at my dreams. We started to look at my relationship with my significant other. And basically, I looked at my relationship with my significant other, and I would allow myself to just get into arguments with her two, three times a week. And you know, I thought everything was fine, but really, honestly, that, that isn't good. That's not good you know, to do that. And he kind of helped me see that it was me. On her, it was me. If I shifted my behavior in a couple of ways, I'd be done. So I did. I know my job with her as her man, my job is to sit down and listen and let her go on and not comment, not try to tell her what she's doing wrong and tell her how it would be so much better if she did this. So that was hard for me. But Marco, when I started to do that, all the drama went out of our relationship. Imagine a drama-free relationship. It's a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. I can't remember the last fight we had. Now, She's gotten annoyed with me a couple times in this kind of like six weeks, but that used to be like a daily occurrence twice in six weeks. It's pretty good. And I didn't lose my, you know what, with her. I kept cool. And half an hour later, she comes to me and she goes, Hey, I'm sorry. I got upset. And I said, no big deal. I probably deserved it. And she laughs. I laugh. We're good. So that's number one. But here's the more important thing. So it's been my dream since I've been a kid to be a New York Times bestselling author who sold a million copies of one of his books. Since I was a little kid, and I gave up on that dream, I let other people talk me out of it saying, you need to go get a good job. You need to go out there, and this isn't realistic. And I bought into that. So I self-published some books, but I never went after that. So I'm like, okay, I'm no kidding going after that. And he said, what's the first thing you got to do? I said, I got to write. And I've been writing a book. That's more or less been on the shelf with just a few hundred words, a book I'm writing with the owner of BNI Canada. It's called The Power of Connecting. It's coming out later this year, unless we get a publisher to buy it, in which case it'll probably be 2021. 
brother, it's a big deal to write a book with the head of BNI Canada. It's a big deal. It's a really, really, really big deal. And in the last six weeks, I went from having had less than a thousand words written to 25,000 words written. Good for you. That's great. You know what I'm saying, Marco? That's expecting to win. So my expectation now is I'm going to finish the book. I'm going to have it ready and bring it out there. And this is like, I got out of my own way. I got out of my own way by getting out of the way of fighting with my beloved. And I can tell you, since that happened, the event with Mark Victor Hansen became a reality. We've got other events that we've got coming up that we're doing with other speakers. I've been asked to participate in those. So my ability to succeed in life has gone up because I'm doing the work to prepare. Now, my perfect? No, I suck a lot. But let me tell you, if I was like a three out of 10 in overall preparation in my life, I'm now maybe at a six and a half, seven out of 10. And I'm not going to stop until I get to a nine out of 10, nine and a half out of 10. And that's what people listening to the show need to think about is, where are you not preparing? What dreams have you given up on? What do you think is impossible? Because this book, Finish Line Thinking, is about thinking like a champion. And champions think about their dreams, and they actually expect to get them. They don't expect to lose. They expect to win. That's brilliant. And you're doing exactly what you talk about. So in that line of thinking, we must expect to win. That's just an important thing. Now, the reality is, is that for most people, if not everyone, along that path or journey, people will ultimately fail. Failure is just part of the process, right? And what you talk about in the book is that you need to actually embrace failure. And, you know, you title the chapter Embrace Failure and Fail Fast. Interestingly enough, I did a podcast episode years ago about this topic, and I said that you should fail frequently, fail fast, and fail forward. And you basically say that champions embrace failure and most people are afraid to fail, but the thing is, is you have to embrace it. So talk about that for a minute or two. How do we position ourselves to accept failure and learn from it and move forward? Well, I'll, I'll read the story from the chapter in the book again. So Mark McCoy, my mentor in health and fitness and also in having the mindset of a champion, began his illustrious career in Toronto at a, at a high school in Toronto, and he wanted to be a sprinter. And here's the problem. When he was a sprinter, my friend, his coach at high school said, hey, I got enough sprinters. I need a hurdler. You can either be the team water boy or you can be my hurdler. Choose. So he goes, okay, I'll be a hurdler. So the coach said, great. I got good news. I got bad news. Good news is you're my hurdler. Bad news is we don't have any hurdles. So why don't you just go out around the track and pretend there's hurdles every three steps and just pretend to jump over them. So Mark said, okay. And he did it. Problem was, when there was an actual race, the hurdles weren't three steps apart. They were more like 10 steps apart. So Mark hit every hurdle at the first race. And he came in dead last. And he was ticked off. And he went and he said, you know what? I need a better coach. I need some real hurdles. So he went he found a place with real hurdles. And he got himself a real coach. And within a few months, he was champion, like officer champion, Ontario champion. And then he became Canadian champion. And then he ran against Ronaldo Nehemiah, who at the time was the number one hurdler in the world, and, and he played professional football too. And Nehemiah came first in that race. It was in Toronto at the Old Maple Leaf Gardens, and Mark came last. And he went to Mr. Nehemiah, and he said, Mr. Nehemiah, you're my hero. Will you help me? Will you show me how I can be like you? Fully expecting the guy to say no. And the guy said, okay, sure. And he spent an hour and a half with him. He outlined everything Mark was doing wrong showed him how to do it right. And Mark took what he learned. And the next time 
he won. He won. He didn't come last. And he figured out that the training he was getting for hurdlers in Canada wasn't good. So he moved to the States and he won 15 straight Canadian championships. Think about that. He's the greatest hurdler in Canadian history. And he's been world champion a couple times. And he won the first Olympic gold medal in track and field for Canada back in 1992 in 60 years. Huge result. And he failed along the way. He finished out of the medals three previous times at the Olympics before he won. So actually, one of them, he didn't finish out of the medals. It was the 1980 Olympics, so he actually didn't get to go. But twice, he finished out of the medals. So this is a guy who understood how important that was. And he said something to me. This is so powerful, Marco. He said, you need to learn how to lose. And I'm like, wow, that's deep, brother. You need to learn how to lose. Because if you don't know how to lose, you're not going to learn how to win. Hmm. So you have to embrace failure, learn from it, and then use it as a springboard to leverage yourself to your next failure or success and just keep moving forward. Right. Okay. Interesting. Very good. Very good. Okay. So moving forward. So we have to have the mindset and expectation to win. We need to embrace failure, learn from it, move forward. Something I talk about, my, my second rule of my 10 rules of successful real estate investing is to set goals. And a wish is much different than a goal, but a lot of people wish to be rich. And the fact is, is that most people don't become rich because, first of all, they don't have the mindset. Second, they don't set the goals. So you talk about setting big goals. Let's talk about that. And, you know, I think as you and I both agree, most people actually play too small, think too small, and then play too small. So how do you set big goals and why is that important? Well... I'll tell you, I actually learned yesterday that I could take this to a whole new level. So I'll talk about that in a minute. So the biggest winners in life, the champions of life, they don't set little goals. They don't want to win the high school meet. They don't want to make 60 grand a year. They set big goals that take most people's breath away. They want to be world champion. They want to make a billion dollars. They want to be the number one person in their field, right? And that mission, that vision inspires them. It actually takes on a life bigger than simply wanting to survive and make some money or get a bit of recognition because it then becomes about something bigger than self. The most successful champions I know don't just do it for themselves. They do it for a cause bigger than themselves. They do it for their country as much as they do it for themselves. If they're running in the Olympics if they become a billionaire, they look at it as a way of providing a livelihood for 20,000 people who otherwise wouldn't have it. That's the sort of thing we're talking about here, Marco. And if somebody sets, you know, wimpy goals, or once they've achieved certain goals, they just start to coast, they become like Al Bundy in that show, Married with Children. You ever remember that show? You ever watch it? When talked about how he threw or caught four touchdowns in a single high school game. That was the highlight of his life. He <laughs> peaked in high school. That's horrible. And he talks about it over and over and over again. Over and over again. While the champion's talking about the next thing. They're happy that they won, but they're talking about how they want to get to the next one. I mean, Michael Jordan, great basketball player. If you watch that Netflix show, The Last Dance, that just was on recently, after he won his first championship, he wanted to win his second, then his third, and then he wanted to win his fourth, and his fifth, and his sixth. And that kept driving him. He didn't look backward, he looked forward. And that's a beautiful thing. And I think all of us need to do that. I mean, look, I did this great thing with Mark Victor Hansen, and it was a wonderful experience. 
but I'm looking forward to the next one, right? I got to be on your show once. Now I'm looking forward to this one. I've written a bunch of books. I'm looking forward to the next one that's coming out. I've written so far nonfiction books. My childhood dream was actually to be a novelist. I've written a novel that I've never published. I'm going to dust that novel off and I'm going to see if that novel can be made published worthy now. If not, I'm going to start writing another one. I've got a couple of really cool ideas for how to do it. And they excite me. You've got to have big goals. You've got to have goals that motivate you. Goals that actually are about being a bigger person than you are now. So I believe that most people don't actually set goals, but there are a lot of people who actually do write goals, however well-written and effective they may be. But for those people that do write goals, why are they writing goals that are too small? Or why are they setting goals that are relatively easy to reach? Why not make big, hairy, audacious goals? Well, I'll tell you, man, that's a fantastic question. They're scared. You know, people are scared. They, they don't believe it's possible. They think that if they set a goal and they don't achieve it, they'll be embarrassed. And they're not ready to do the work. I mean, one of the reasons I wrote this book is to show people anything's possible if you adopt the mindset of a finish line thinker. And if you do that, your mindset will drive your actions and that will drive your ability to achieve. And a lot of people go, okay, I'm going to do it. But then they run into an obstacle and they fail and they quit. Man, failure to me is like, wow, I just figured out one more way not to do that. Great. Let's go find a way to do it. And that was Thomas Edison's great thing. He started to create one of the greatest inventions of all time, which was the light bulb. And he failed 10,000 times. And when people said, hey, man, you're a failure. You failed 10,000 times. He said, I'm not a failure. Man, I just found 10,000 ways not to do it. I'm the smartest man in the world. I am the best qualified person to find the way to do it because I know all the ways not to do it. And I, I sat back and went, wow, that dude, he really got something that very few people get. But anyone who adopts that mindset, and I, Thomas Edison, he was a finish line thinker. That dude, I'm telling you what, he would set you up for victory in the biggest possible way. And you know what? Now I'm talking to you. I'm actually going to take this book in 2021. I'm going to create a new edition, an expanded edition of it, and put some of these stories into it because I think they're very powerful. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. You know, it's interesting how many times the word mindset has come up, not only in this episode, but I just finished recording another episode right before this one, which you knew about. And the same concept came up multiple times. It's all about how you think. It's all about mindset. It's all about you being your own worst enemy or you just opening it up and setting a high target and going for it and actually believing that you can achieve it. And you're right. I think the fear of failure is really the obstacle, but that doesn't even exist because you're creating your own mental block by believing that there is potential failure and you're letting it get in your way. hundred percent, man. I was reading the work of Dr. Joe Vitale yesterday. He's got a, a bunch of books out. And he was talking about whatever your goal is, if you go to a party and you share it with somebody and they don't think you're crazy, it's not big enough. And I'm like, okay. So based on that definition, my goal isn't big enough. And I've been thinking to myself, I want to create a million millionaires. I'm thinking too small, Marco. You ready with me, Marco? I want to create a billion millionaires. A billion millionaires. A world with a billion millionaires is a world that works for everybody. A world where nobody goes hungry, where everybody is living in abundance. Man, that is a goal that captures the imagination. 
because a billion millionaires, I couldn't do that on my own. I would need folks like you to help make it happen. We need to like put that out there as a siren message to go a billion millionaires. We want a billion millionaires. We can start with North America. Like, like think about that. Let's say if Canada had 10 million millionaires and the United States had 100 million millionaires, man, that would be a spectacular start. And if we could take that vision and bring it to the rest of the world and show people what it takes to do that, my God, brother, free enterprise would be so strong. I mean, the roots of the free enterprise system would be so deep because you'd have a billion people with a huge stake in making sure that free enterprise wins. And that's what I want to do. That's great. That definitely is a big, hairy, audacious goal. (laughs) Hey, you're going to like this, actually. This conversation happened with my wife about three weeks ago. We were talking about goal setting, and I'm not exactly sure why we were talking about it. I think it had to do with someone I had interviewed and a conversation at the topic came up. But I I asked my wife, I said, I knew the answer. I was just setting her up. She started setting goals because she's working with an amazing lady in one of my mastermind groups. And she's all about energy and she's very spiritual, but she's very much a personal development person. So she started writing some goals and she struggles with it. She doesn't know how to write goals. She's always had a problem with even just putting pen to paper to create herself a goal. But I said, you need to create goals, but you need to create some big goals for yourself. And when we were talking about that, I asked her, I said, Anita, do you know how you know you have a big goal? How do you know when the goal is big enough? And she thought about it for a sec and she didn't have an answer. I said, it makes you very uncomfortable. That goal needs to make you sweat. It needs to make you uncomfortable. That's how you know the goal is big enough. And she thought about it for a while. She goes, yeah, you're right. So I think that's what more people need to do. Yep. A billion millionaires, man. That's just some awesomeness. <laughs> that should make you sweat a bit. Oh, dude, it's totally making me sweat. It's not just these lights I have <laughs> going on here that's making me sweat. It's that. But it's also, man, it's also energizing because I think that this goal will capture the imagination of every single person on the planet who does what you and I do, which is they put themselves out there to serve people and help them be more successful in business. It's going to capture Tony Robbins's imagination. It's going to capture Jack Canfield's imagination. It's going to capture Mark Victor Hansen's imagination. It's going to capture Victor Menashe's imagination. Oh, Victor Menashe, by the way, Victor Menashe, I coached Victor for four years, and I began coaching him with the principles in this book, and then I got into thought leadership with him. And I'll tell you, Victor was already very successful when we started working together, but within four years, through the methodologies in this book and the methodologies of thought leadership, his annual income, I think, went up like over tenfold, maybe even twentyfold. And the types of deals he did, they went up exponentially by almost a hundredfold. The man went from doing ten and twenty unit deals to doing five hundred and thousand unit deals. So, finish line thinking has worked for Victor Minaj. Yeah, he's doing a lot of real estate deals for sure. Victor's a friend of mine; he's a good guy. So, let's talk about one more of these, and then I, I want to kind of wrap it up with your three simple steps that you have at the end of the book because I think that was really interesting, actually. I'm not even sure what to pick here, but let's talk about the team concept because I know Robert Kiyosaki talks about that. You know, he talks about surrounding yourself with the right team and he refers to it as a team sport. He calls real estate investing a team sport. So you talk about actively surrounding yourself with the support system and the team that will make you a winner, you know, and you say it yourself, champions know that success is actually a team sport. They recruit the people to surround themselves to win. 
So maybe comment on that. Talk about how we go about creating our own winning team and letting that allow us to get to that point of a winner or being a champion. Well, Marco, you and I talked about this privately. And one of the biggest weaknesses of most entrepreneurs is they have a disease called entrepreneur's disease. And that disease is I am so much better at getting things done than anyone else. And I'm the only <laughs> one who's going to do every task in my business. Right. Even if I am a high value person who ought not to be doing that task, even if I'm the best person at it. And this is one of the things that's kept so many entrepreneurs from reaching their full potential. It'd be like a surgeon deciding that he should spend 20 hours a week typing because he's a better typist than his secretary, or she's a better typist than her secretary. It's insane. You've got to understand that if you want to be a champion performer, you got to figure out what is your sport? What's the track for you to run on? Right. So for Marco Santorelli, you need to be in front of the camera and the mic doing what you do. You ought not to be, for example, the guy who sets up all the audio equipment and does all the editing. And you've got to have a team around you that's able to do that for you and able to do that for you at a level that allows you to do what you do. And all champion performers do this. So my better half, Teresa Dugwell, who you ought to interview at some point because she's a woman who decided to set her first world record at I think she was 46 or 47, like athletic world record, okay? So that's pretty cool and crazy stuff. And she did three of them. She ran for 12 hours on a treadmill three times, just for giggles, as we said before. And when she did this, Teresa had a team. She had a nutritionalist. She had a running coach. She had a stamina coach. She had a mindset coach. She had a group of people whose job it was to loosen her muscles up, you know, so she wouldn't tighten up too much. I mean, the size of her team was so vast that you looked around and you go, oh my God, man, this is crazy. I think she had 20 people on her team. 20 people on her team allowed her to do what she does, which is get on that treadmill and run. If she had to take care of all those things herself, she wouldn't have come close to breaking the world record. You'd have never heard of her, right? And the power of that team allowed her to do what she did. So let's say your objective, Marco, was you want to be 100 times more impactful than you are now, and you want to reach 100 times more people. I'm not saying that's what you want to do, but for the purposes of this illustration, that's what you wanted to do. The first thing I would do with you, if I were your finish line thinker coach, if I decided to take you on, is I'd make you identify the Marco genius, and I'd make you delegate everything else. No matter how good you were at doing it, I wouldn't let you do one of them. I'd say, keep your eye on the prize, man. Do the thing. Because the thing is what makes you a champion, right? A gold medal sprinter does not carry water bottles. He sprints. <laughs> and that's why the team's there. All right. I'll take that boot out from behind my back. <laughs> <laughs> you know I love you, brother. You know I love you. I know you do. I still have the boot from the last time we spoke about this. <laughs> Stuck in my back. Oh, that's crazy. All right. Well, look, there's all kinds of great content in your book we could talk about forever. And I, I think it's a, it's a great read. It's going to be super helpful for everybody. Okay. So in the back of the book, you talk about these three simple steps and I kind of thumbed through it and I stumbled across it and I read it and I thought that's very interesting because I agree with all of it and I never saw it put out this way. But step one is to listen to music that stirs your soul. Step two is move your body. And step three is ask intelligent questions. Three very interesting steps and three things that I believe in and I agree with. So just touch on each one real quick because I think it's a great place to leave off here. So research shows that 
music that you love has like powerful effects on your body and your state, right? It releases adrenaline and dopamine into your body. And that makes you feel energized and happy at the same time. So whatever music does that for you, you ought to listen to that, especially when you're getting ready to perform, right? And then moving your body, like positive emotions come from moving your body. Tony Robbins talks about this a great deal. So the more you move your body, whether it's in a dance or doing jumping jacks or clapping your hands and yelling, yes, 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 10 times, that's going to really change your state and put you in a powerful space. And Tony Robbins also said, you need to ask intelligent questions. And this was his greatest contribution, in my opinion, to the world of personal development is most people ask bad questions. Mark Victor Hansen wrote a new book on ask right now, which I think is an expansion on what Tony talked about. But he, Tony came up with this 30 odd years ago. And so I came up with five questions. So the first question is, what am I happy about today? Well, I'm happy I got to hang out with my friend Marco and we get to have a great conversation. What am I excited about today? I'm excited that I'm going to get to get my message to go out to several thousand people because of this interview. That's exciting. Who can I make a difference for today? Well, I hope to have made a difference for all your listeners, for you. I hope to have made a difference for the other people that I've done calls for today because I've had a whole bunch of calls and I got a whole bunch more to do. And then how can I attract my ideal clients today? Well, one way is to be on a great show like this and talk about things that help people and that's going to attract ideal clients to my message. And how do I give my best? Well, I give my best, right? Like for me coming on the show, I asked you, hey, Mark, are we doing audio or video? Because if we're doing video, I wanted to make sure that I looked presentable and I looked right. I got this powerful ring light behind my camera. So you get to see me uh, more clearly. And I made sure that I'd eaten. I didn't come to this particular interview like without energy, like having skipped a meal, which when I've got like 15 calls lined up in a row, sometimes that happens. So that's what I did to give my very best. And then the final question, the bonus question that I ask is, I wonder who's the lucky son of a gun that gets to meet me today. And that's a beautiful way to affirm to myself that, hey, I'm lucky to meet people, but people are lucky to meet me. I get to make a difference in their life too. And it's important for people to affirm that they're a good person, they have value in the world. So that's why I added that bonus question. I love that bonus question. It contributes to your self-worth. It makes you realize that you actually are a person, you have self-worth and something to contribute. It's not, you're just not a nobody, you are a somebody. Amen, brother. Amen. Amen. It's a beautiful thing. All right, Nikki. Hey, listen, share with us where listeners can find out more about you and follow you and maybe pick up some of your books or whatever it may be. So look, my books, the best way to get my books is to go to Amazon, right? I actually have like a free copy of this new book on my website. It's ecircleacademy.com, I think forward slash TLJ. I'll send that to you as a text or an email so you can put it up properly because I may have messed something up there. But they can go to Amazon. This is a great book to pick up. You should definitely pick this up. You can pick this up as well. If someone wants the book to be signed by me, like if they're people are like into that being a bibliophile who likes signed books, then the best way to do that is I'm going to set up a link for that at some point, but they can just email me and I'll organize to like sell them a book and sign them and we'll ship it out to them. And I've actually got this thing where I offer this comprehensive coaching session to people. And if they decide to take that up, right, as a single session to really delve into their messaging and whatnot, and I'll send you that link too. I'll send them two signed copies of the book and I'll send you both of those links. But the best way to get a hold of me, man, is to go to this thing called my 360 site, N-I-C-K-Y-360.com. Everything Nikki Ballou is on there. My podcast is there. And I highly recommend that they subscribe to my podcast. I get to interview a lot of great people, including yourself, Mark Victor Hansen, Jack Canfield, 
Dr. Ken Blanchard, and the list goes on and on. It's a really great podcast. It's called The Thought Leader Revolution. And they can look at all the social media that I have and all that cool stuff. And I want to just say one last thing. I've recently signed on to a new social media platform called Gab, G-A-B.com. Gab is a free speech alternative to Twitter. Twitter lately has been censoring a lot of voices in this day and age. There's been a lot of the big tech social media platforms that are actually censoring free enterprise voices. And there seem to be some socialist types that are running those. Gab is a free speech platform. It is the equivalent of Twitter on the free speech side. So I highly recommend that people check out Gab, especially those that believe in free enterprise and free speech. Yeah, I'll check it out. I didn't even know about that, but I appreciate it. Cool. All right, Nikki. Well, thank you for your time. It's been great having you on today. I will speak to you later today. And thank you so much. Thank you, Marco. Thanks for having me on. It's been a, a real blessing to be here. Likewise. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you haven't done so already and you're new to the show, download our free report, The Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing. In fact, it's more than a report. It's actually a guide and a primer to real estate investing, how to get started and how to basically become a better real estate investor. And it's not just a light freebie. It actually is a pretty sizable 40-page document that I created to help people become better real estate investors. And that's it. So again, if you haven't subscribed to the show, remember to do so. Help us spread the word, share the show with other people. And if you have the time and the inclination, head on over to iTunes or whatever platform you use and leave us a rating and review. I always greatly appreciate it. And yes, I do read them. Thanks for listening. We will see you on the next episode. Nothing on this show should be considered specific personal or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate legal, tax, real estate, or business professional for individualized advice. For distribution or publication rights in media interviews, please contact the host.